COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. Our goal is to protect the lives and livelihoods of Australians. We have breaking news on a corona scare. The panic buying, self-isolating on a statewide level. Stop it. It's Wednesday, the 22nd of April. Welcome to Coronavirus Watch. This is Kate Ryan, joined by Ben O'Shea. And getting straight into the WA numbers, Ben, unchanged. Yeah, cause for celebration. It's another day with zero new cases in Western Australia. You could just see how happy uh, yeah. Premier Mark McGowan was and uh, Health Minister Roger Cook were today when they were talking about it. And it means that over the past four days, we've had just two new cases in Western Australia, which is a phenomenal result. Wow. That that's incredible. And to hear them say that was just really kind of awe inspiring, really. I mean, um, 451 recovered and eight of those overnight. So really, our, our active cases are only at 88 yeah, in WA. That, that's gone down progressively, which is fantastic to see. Uh, there's only eight active cases in regional Western Australia, three in the goldfields, just four up in the Kimberley, which it wasn't too long ago that we were talking about the Kimberley mm-hmm. being a real source of concern. So that's fantastic. And uh, one in the wheat belt too. So we're looks like, fingers crossed, we're getting on top of it. And nationally, we've had some pretty good figures as well, especially the last 24 hours. Yeah, the Deputy uh, Medical Officer said today, Paul Kelly said that uh, there were just four new cases in the past 24 hours since yesterday, Arvo. Uh, It it can be a little bit misleading, though, because if you expand that to the last 36 hours, there's actually been 26 new cases, which doesn't Mm -hmm. sound nearly as good as four. (laughs) Uh, But the, the, the reason, I guess... To, uh, to temper that optimism is that there were three more deaths yeah. from COVID-19 in Australia. Uh, all three were from New South Wales, which brings the national total uh, up to 74 deaths. Uh, in, in this instance, it was a 74-year-old man, an 80-year-old wom- woman, and uh, a 92-year-old woman who died on Tuesday morning at an Anglicare uh, aged care facility. And, and we know, as we've seen all around the world and here in Australia, it is that elderly co- cohort that is the most vulnerable to this virus. Yeah. Just every death from coronavirus is is just tragic to see and worldwide those numbers really aren't getting any better. No, they're definitely climbing at an alarming rate. There's now 2.56 million confirmed cases wow. in the world. The reality is, of course, as we've said, probably many more than that out there that haven't been tested. Uh, and the number of deaths now has crept up to uh, 177,778. Wow. Yeah. That's huge. Um, getting back to WA, where we have been seeing some great numbers, low low death number and low case number, as yep. we've just talked about, the conversation has turned to when we could start seeing life get back to normal. That could mean re- the relaxing of some distancing rules. But Mark McGowan said not everyone would be happy with it, um, but we all have to work together. Nothing in this environment is perfect as everyone would like it to be in any form field, whether it's business or retail or health or education or government, nothing is perfect. Um, It's not a perfect world we're living in at the moment. And everyone needs to understand that government and um, the community are doing their best in difficult circumstances. And it's a time for us all uh, to do our bit. And I'd urge everyone across the community to continue to do their bit in these difficult times. Mark McGowan said that they would be looking into whether they can they can actually change some of the or relax some of these rules every three to four weeks. So that could be interesting to see. I mean, we've obviously seen the elective surgery 
come back. Schools are going back. Um, liquor and license, liquor restrictions <laughs> liquor have been restrictions. relaxed. It's a very delicate time for the government, and particularly for mm-hmm. Mark McGowan. He's done a great job thus far, and his approval rating is through the roof in the way that he's handled the coronavirus pandemic. But now, as we're seeing such a low case rate, people are going to start to expect uh, things to restart, the economy to restart, mm-hmm. uh, businesses to reopen, uh, and people to be allowed to gather again. Uh, and But of course, if you're in government, your ultimate goal is to stop a second outbreak, a yeah. second wave of infections that could have a catastrophic effect. So you're going to be very cautious and measured in your approach to uh, restarting everything. Uh, and that could find uh, Mark McGowan's approval rating start to slip a little bit. So we'll be watching that with interest over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, and obviously we've seen how delicate this balance is. A, a breakout can come out of nowhere, essentially. So they've really got to be careful. Uh, but like every press conference every day, Roger Cook has some shout outs to particular areas of the medical community that usually don't really get noticed or spoken about in the media, but they really are. Every day you wait and hear what Who's profession. Who's going to be next? <laughs> yeah. And uh, it has become a really, really fascinating part of his press conferences. And today, to give you an example, was medical engineers, which I have to be honest, I've never thought about medical engineers before in my life, but they're actually vital staff in the health mm-hmm. system. They're the ones that keep all of the uh, the medical equipment functioning. So they're really, really important to keeping everything moving and keeping everybody safe. And so I think it's great that these lesser known uh, workers and real heroes in the healthcare system are getting the acknowledgement they deserve from Roger Cook each day. Yeah, He's been he's been doing uh, almost every profession. He started with the doctors and nurses. He went to the paramedics. He went to the anaesthetists. Yeah. He has done. I wonder who's left. Yeah, <laughs> but elsewhere in WA, you may have noticed the fuel prices plunge over the past few weeks in Perth in particular. But we should spare a thought to those in regional WA. Uh, usually, fuel prices are generally higher in regional WA. Um, but regional fuel retailers have been slammed for not passing on these lower prices that we've seen in Perth. I mean, it's been incredible, 84 cents a litre and things like that. Yeah, I filled up my car the other day <laughs> and uh, I think it cost uh, something like 36 bucks for a full tank. I thought maybe wow. I hadn't filled it up enough. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, but it is interesting that uh, out in the regional areas, they're not seeing the same discount. They expect to pay more for petrol because mm-hmm. there's transport costs, all that kind of thing. But you would you would expect that the, they're seeing a similar level of discounting that yeah. we're seeing in the city. And uh, the RAC's uh, manager of vehicles and fuels, Alex Forrest, has come out uh, and he said that, you know, the people are doing it tough in the community and the fact that they're having to pay such high exorbitant prices for petrol is not helping at all. They're, they're dealing with the same loss of income and la- uh, losing jobs and stuff that people in the city are. Uh, and, but if you take, for example, uh, between March the 1st and 23rd uh, uh, last month, average petrol price- prices at the pumps in Kalgoorlie fell by only 4.8 cents a litre which is really nothing, no. uh, to $1.46, basically, nearly $1.47. Yet over the same time frame uh, in Perth, we're seeing like a $0.26 cents a litre drop, up to almost $0.52 cents a litre drop. So why the regional areas aren't seeing that same drop? They're still going to pay more for petrol. I don't think anybody's denying that. Yeah. But why it hasn't gone down the same degree that the petrol prices in Perth has gone down, there's there's some serious questions to answer there. Yeah, I think so as well. And um, I guess lots of people in regional WA 
will be wanting some answers to that question, so it'll be interesting to see if anyone is held to account. Um, Now, for those waiting for surgery, we just mentioned the elective surgeries and we mentioned it yesterday that elective surgeries will be going ahead. Um, It was great news yesterday to hear Category 1 and some Category 2 elective surgeries would be going ahead. And today, the WA government kind of finalised how that would work. Yeah, we're going to see uh, the resumption of these uh, procedures uh, in public and private hospitals uh, Tuesday of next next week. It's going to be 25% of the usual capacity of these hospitals. It's a slow start, um, but there's potential to ramp up the number of procedures they're performing if things go okay. There's a few factors that need to be taken into account. Uh, For one, uh, the availability of PPE, which we know around the world and certainly here in Australia is in short supply. Uh, And then it's going to be done on a priority basis. Who needs it the most, the preference is going to be given to people who already had surgery booked in but had it cancelled because of the coronavirus. They'll be contacted. Uh, and Roger Cook, again, as he <laughs> did yesterday, urged people not to contact the hospitals. Don't call the call centres at the hospital. They've got other stuff to deal with. Uh, you, it's like basically, don't call us, we'll call you. Yeah, I think much. if you're waiting for an elective surgery to happen. Uh, and they're going to get through a surprising amount of it. Uh, Roger Cook said that uh, 1,700 patients will have their surgery by the end of May, which is, you know, they're really working through through that backlog, which I think everybody's happy about. Yeah, and it does look like they're really trying to do it as safely as they can. Now, while elective surgery is considered essential for those who desperately need it, I'm sure there's some people out there who would consider another industry that's been shut down as essential, and that's the AFL. (laughs) And we're still yet to hear whether or when it will return. Yeah, and uh, we might hear some word on that next week, hopefully. I know a lot of people are waiting out for it, uh, but Mark McGowan wasn't waiting. He had some comments about a potential restart of the AFL uh, with WA teams. Obviously, with the AFL, uh, we need to ensure that they comply with the health guidelines. Uh, But within that, um, and within the best of health advice, um, if we can have teams based here, if we can have a competition uh, based here, uh, then that would be, I think, great for morale across the community. Um, I think of all those people uh, sitting at home, in particular my father, uh, he would uh, love to watch a bit of uh, football, as I'm sure many people would. So uh, we, um, we'll take the best of health advice on that, and uh, certainly uh, if the AFL complies with that advice, that's something we'd look strongly at. And he was also asked about how this would work. I mean, we're looking at FIFO workers who if they're coming from over east, do have to self-isolate for two weeks before starting work. And he was asked by uh, Seven News' Jeff Parry if uh, if any of the players were too precious to isolate. And he said, no, we've just got to – it's something they've got to do. And if they don't want to do it, then we probably won't have a competition. Yeah, well, the rules are the rules, and there's no exceptions for anybody here. But I think Jeff's question was valid because mm-hmm. AFL players, by and large, are kind of used to getting their own way and being allowed to pretty much do whatever they want. So, uh, and I think that's something the government will have to take into account um, because if you're talking about a bunch of teams being based in Western Australia, that's uh, potentially hundreds of people, hundreds of young men coming to Western Australia. They have to self isolate. 
participate and there's legal penalties if they don't. Uh, and so they, I don't know if they'll need to delete Tinder off their uh, <laughs> smartphones as a as a one of the things that they'll have to comply with. But certainly I think there'll be some challenges enforcing that. And all you can hope for is that uh, the rules that we've all been living under for the past uh, few weeks is going to be the same thing that will apply to AFL players. Uh, and uh, if that's the case, then we'll hopefully restart footy and everybody will be happy. They'll be playing in front of an empty stadium. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But uh, I know it would certainly do a lot for uh, the national morale to see some sport back on TV. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people would be happy if they can make it work. Now, moving elsewhere around the nation now, Scott Morrison has held talks with Donald Trump about the World Health Organization and how it could have improved its response to pandemics. I would love to be a fly on the wall with any world leader <laughs> as they're uh, talking to Donald Trump. I would love to know how that went down. Uh, and yes, yeah, so I think the, the PM of Australia is a, a much bigger fan of the World Health Organization mm-hmm. than Donald Trump is. He defended it a little bit last week after the news got out that Donald Trump was defunding um, the World Health Organization. Scott Morrison believes it has an important role to play, especially in our neck of the woods yeah. in the Pacific, because there are a lot of smaller nations that don't have the medical resources to fight a, a pandemic like the COVID-19 and the World Health Organization has actually provided some very valuable assistance in terms of testing, in terms of actual healthcare workers, flying them in to look after those populations and so certainly ScoMo uh, is more aware of the significance of the World Health Organization and but he also acknowledges that they could have done some things better. Uh, I think most people yeah. think that there's probably room for improvement um, but unlike Donald Trump ScoMo mm-hmm. does see value going forward in the World Health Organization, but he doesn't need to use it as a political football as well. Yeah. So that's a factor too. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose this was so fast moving, you've kind of got to expect that there were going to always be errors made. I mean, yes, we have had pandemics before, but they've never been this widespread. So It's can, a learning yeah. process for yeah. everybody, including the World Health Organization. Uh, you could argue that of anybody who should have had protocols in place, it was them. They have been working on pandemic emergency response plans forever, basically. Uh, And the the mistakes they made were maybe being a little bit too early to praise China uh, and when, you know, they maybe needed to take a a bit tougher stance on on the actions that the Chinese were taking. But all in all, I think they've improved as as most countries have in this process. Uh, and so, yeah, I think it's it's an interesting kind of situation between ScoMo and Trump. And, and also they spoke about restarting the economy. It wasn't just about the World Health Organization. They talked about how uh, trade could be restarted and, and what uh, both countries can do to assist. Uh, I feel like America wants to pursue that a little bit earlier than yeah. we do. We, we're still very cautious in our response, whereas Trump, as we know, is starting arguments with everybody, wants to get turn the switch back on immediately. Uh, so it would have been a very interesting conversation, but it's not the only world leader ScoMo was talking to today. He also spoke to the, Germ- the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel. Uh, he spoke to uh, Macron in, in France as well. So these are discussions that I'm sure he's, he's taking part in all the time as global leaders collectively trying to try to come up with the best response. And one of those conversations, particularly with Angela Merkel, was around vaccines. And some of the big news we heard coming out of the UK was that human vaccine trials will be starting. And this is from the the UK Health Secretary, Matt Hancock. In the long run, the best way to defeat coronavirus is through a vaccine. And for all the efforts around the world, two of the leading vaccine developments are taking place here at home at Oxford and Imperial. I can announce that the the vaccine from the Oxford project 
will be trialled in people from this Thursday. We are going to back them to the hilt and give them every resource that they need to get the best possible chance of success as soon as possible. This is really great news, but uh, we were just talking off air earlier and uh, even though this press conference was today, this news kind of came out a little bit earlier and no one really picked it up. Yeah, medical journals uh, have been on top of this and following this story. Uh, Researchers from Oxford University, led by uh, Professor Sarah Gilbert, um, have been the ones spearheading this vaccine research in the UK. And this is the vaccine that they'll be testing in people starting from this week, which is really an incredible timeline that I think took everybody by surprise. And the idea that you could have, uh, you know, a million or more uh, vaccines available for the public by uh, autumn in the Northern Hemisphere, which is spring down here, uh, is incredible. But it needs to be uh, tempered with the the fact that medical research, medical science has never come up with a vaccine for a coronavirus before. Uh, they haven't come up for one with for SARS or MERS. As ScoMo pointed that out last week. He said that we may never see a, a vaccine for COVID-19. Uh, but certainly it's interesting that they've got to the point where they're ready for human trials already. Uh, they've already spent the past uh, few weeks finding people who would be suitable candidates um, and because you've got to make sure they haven't had it, for starters, uh, and you want to make sure that then if they are exposed to COVID-19, it's not going to be fatal for them. So there's a few things to take into account to find the right sort of candidates to take part in this study, but certainly the money from the British government is going to help fast-track that uh, and I guess everybody in the world is, is waiting to see the results. Moving over to the US, and I'm sure over the past few weeks, uh, any announcement by Trump seems to be a new surprise, and we don't think they can get any more. Bonkers. (laughs) (laughs) But this one today, uh, he's signing an executive order to temporarily ban new immigrants. Um, I suppose this is kind of what Australia has done, but not banning people moving and wanting to live. Yeah. yeah, I think the difference between what Australia has done, like we've closed our borders and that's what he's talking about doing it in America. The difference between us and America is uh, we also haven't been, uh, our, our parliamentarians haven't been, you know, spending the past 12 months or, or more talking about, you know, rhetoric around uh, stopping immigrants and anti-immigrant rhetoric. Uh, and so Trump, uh, his critics have suggested that he's using the coronavirus as a convenient excuse to push forward yeah. his, his alt-right uh, agenda. Uh, whether or not that's true. I'll leave that up to Trump to say. Um, He says that it's designed to protect the health of Americans, to ensure they have jobs. He thinks it'd be uh, wrong and unjust, unjust is his word, uh, for Americans who are laid off because of the virus to then be replaced uh, with new immigrant labour that have been flown in from abroad. It's not clear at the moment if there will be any exceptions uh, and whether some countries will be exempt, like you would think uh, Australia, the UK um, would be. But as we've seen, in the, during the Trump administration, uh, the uh, traditional allies of America aren't always treated with any yeah. more respect or, or kindness than uh, the enemies of America. Um, but he, he certainly has a, a lot of problems that he's dealing with at the moment. The economy has been in freefall. They had uh, an initial $2 trillion bailout package, uh, and today they added an additional $500 billion to help small businesses. There's been examples in the, that have been raised in the media of uh, some of that bailout money going to large chains, yeah. which is... That's one of the most interesting things about this. So, for example, Shake Shack, which is uh, you know amazing burger chain in America. <laughs> I love Shake Shack, um, but they uh, had to come out and say, "Look, you know, we got ten million dollars as part of this bailout. We clearly do not need." Yeah 
the ten million dollars. This should go to somebody else, and they gave it back. Uh, and so there's, I guess, it's a bit it's very of very honest. Yeah, of them. well, it's a bit of a guilt trip that's been put on by the media, and this is the role of the media being reinforced mm-hmm. again. Um, if it wasn't for media reporting around that issue, I'm sure Shake Shack probably would have <laughs> kept the money. Um, but it certainly is much better for them from a PR perspective to say that it needs to go to people who are, are more needy and more deserving. Uh, and uh, like I think Shake Shack raised seventy five million dollars uh, in a, in a, a fundraising effort, so you know they're not short of a coin. Um, and uh, so we'll see now. Hopefully, the small businesses uh, get access to some of this money because it's just like everywhere in the world, the American economy is really feeling the pinch. Mm-hmm. Now, while we're still on the topic of America, uh, we spoke about this yesterday. The the protesters who were rallying to keep their freedoms. But it's okay. They say they're being protected by God and Jesus. I'm pretty sure neither of them have a vaccine either. Um, And it was interesting that talk show host Jimmy Kimmel, he's had his own say on this. There were some very creative signs that illustrated this plight. Many are experiencing so powerfully, like I need a haircut. Massage is essential. Jesus is my vaccine. A big reason why these protests are gaining steam is because our president is encouraging them. Despite everyone who works for him telling people to stay at home, despite the official White House mandate being shelter in place over the weekend, the guy who runs the White House tweeted, liberate Michigan, liberate Minnesota and liberate Virginia. This from a man who refuses to even liberate Melania. <laughs> so yeah, he uh, he ha- he had some choice words there. He's the gift that keeps on giving, <laughs> yeah. I think, for American comedians. Yeah, and it, but it wasn't just uh, Jimmy Kimmel, talk show host, our very own, or not really very own, but uh, adopted, adopted, adopted son. Yeah, uh, Collingwood football player Mason Cox. He also had some words for his home country. All right. Well, it's been a long time since I've been back to the states, but. I did some Googling just to figure out, you know, kind of what's going on in this time. And that, this is what I came up with. Protesters converging on downtown Huntington Beach today, holding up signs proclaiming social distancing equals communism and COVID-19 is a lie. Okay, obviously concerning, but maybe they have some kind of reasoning. Let's hear what they think about the science behind it. So what do I say to the science? I say I don't believe your science because I believe my God. Okay, interesting to say at least, but... Maybe not everyone has the same opinion. Let's ask someone else. So what are you saying to the scientists and those who encourage you to keep apart and wear a mask? Uh, They're fear mongers because they don't know. I mean, people might say, look, they're the experts, but they're not. Okay, whatever. Teach the round, but at least they're protesting peacefully, right? Well, just seeing that, um, I don't know that I'm ever going to leave Australia again. Um, US, it's been real, but I'm out. A Collingwood will be happy to hear that. I think they're <laughs> pretty stoked that he wants to stay in Australia for the foreseeable future. And look, I don't blame him. Uh, I think there are a lot of people right now in Australia thinking that we're the lucky ones. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking of lucky, it seems like a, a jellyfish in Italy has, has been pretty lucky, um, especially because he was spotted in the middle of Venice City. Usually, uh, I'm guessing any kind of marine life would just be squashed or drowned in the mud. Not visible. And not visible. I think that's the thing. Yeah. Not not visible at all in the canals of Venice. Um, but because of the coronavirus and everybody stuck in their house, uh, now uh, there's no uh, traffic on the canals and the water has become clear. Like this has been shared around on social media for the past few weeks. I think people kind of get a bit carried away with the idea that 
it's you know there's certain age group I think get a bit carried away <laughs> with the idea that the coronavirus is a positive thing because it's like great for the earth yeah. uh, and that's probably a little untrue in the case of Venice uh, the water isn't any cleaner like if you drink it you're probably going to get just as many diseases as yeah. you would have before coronavirus but because of the decrease in traffic uh, boats and gondolas and whatever else they have uh, it's meant that the sediment on the bottom is not being kicked up so the water looks clearer it's not any cleaner but it certainly is clearer and now you can see fish swimming around this jellyfish which has gone viral <laughs> uh, I don't even to be honest with you I'm not sure how close Venice is to the sea I don't know how far that jellyfish had to go yeah. to get to get into those canals but it's obviously um, had a clear path without yeah. any boats in the way exactly I just I, Venice is such a romantic city I'm just sad there wasn't a second jellyfish Aww. and they could have been like uh, how would you call that method of uh, propulsion that the jellyfish <laughs> do if they're both sort of squishing around the canals together that would be lovely oh, that would have been lovely and uh, also in Venice um, to, just to add to the romance, I guess it's not considered smelly anymore. That's one benefit oh, that's as well. Positive. Yeah, obviously the the sediment, which probably was smelly, has sunk to the bottom, and it's a beautifully well, clean smelling city. Well, we again. can enjoy it on social media. Yeah. <laughs> now Italy has been in lockdown for over a month and a half from about the 9th of March and they're looking to ease restrictions from May 4 so that's really great and despite the crisis being expected to last around six months or so lots of events are still for later in the year are still being cancelled. Yeah I think this is an important news for people who think this is all going to be over soon mm-hmm. like I, you look at the no, the numbers in WA which are admittedly great but the idea that you know we're going to just wake up one morning and everything goes back to normal is not reality and you can tell when uh, some very big high profile events that are not happening for months have already been cancelled that's a sign that you know maybe we haven't even seen the worst of it yet in the case uh, of Paris so September Fashion Week which is a massive, massive deal in the fashion industry. So I, I have it on good authority that LVMH, so this is one of the biggest uh, fashion brands in the world, the Louis Vuitton parent company, uh, so they were n- are not going to be staging uh, fashion shows at Fashion Week for Vuitton, uh, Dior, uh, Givenchy. Wow. Uh, so that's, that's, that's massive. Huge. And it's not, it's not just them. Uh, Germany, uh, Munich and today announced that they were cancelling Oktoberfest uh, and to give you an idea, like you think as a couple of people having a beer, what's the big deal? It's no easy decision to cancel an event like that. It brings six million people to Munich and generates uh, a billion euros wow. for the city. So the idea that you are cancelling an event so far into the future because you have some serious doubts about this, the health and safety of your population gives you a really good idea about, uh, you know, it's much <laughs> too early to think that we're out of the woods yet. Yeah. It's, it's almost the equivalent of when Ireland cancelled its St. Patrick's Day parades. Obviously, that was right in the middle of it, so you could understand that. But this, so far ahead, and it would be a, a massive hit for Munich. Also, the running of the Bulls has been cancelled yep, as well. Yeah, the running of the Bulls too. And so, and, but meanwhile, we're here in Perth talking about <laughs> AFL starting yeah. in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, there's definitely uh, some different perspectives in, in how we approach this virus. But the caveat is, of course, that in Australia we've done far better than a lot of other countries. Uh, and so there probably are some benefits to all of the hard work that everybody's put in to get us to where we are today. Yeah. Now, Ben... You've done a bit of uh, investigating from a pretty distasteful meme that seems to be encouraging nuking China that's done the rounds on social media. 
Um, why was this so surprising, the source of this <laughs> well, meme? Listen, well, listen, when, when I heard that uh, there was a prominent uh, political figure who'd talked about uh, nuking China on social media, you know, I thought it was going to be that orange-looking bloke <laughs> in uh, the White House. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was much closer to home. It was uh, the leader of the opposition in the upper house, uh, Peter Collier. Wow. <laughs> yeah, the, really the last person I would expect to post something like this. He did it on his private Instagram account, so it wasn't publicly available, which makes it, I guess, slightly better. But there's, you know, things that the average Joe Blow can get away with posting on social yeah. media. But then if you're a senior figure in the Liberal Party, you know, you probably the bar is set a little higher. And so it was, a, of all things, a Betty White meme uh, that said that if Betty White gets the coronavirus, then we're nuking China, no questions asked. <laughs> Uh, which is, it's, it's, on one hand, it's a little funny, but on the other hand, it's also kind of racist. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not, not appropriate. And uh, whether or not do you think uh, Peter Collier's uh, uh, affection for Betty White yeah. is appropriate, that's another story entirely. <laughs> um, but certainly, you know, to say that uh, nuking China uh, should happen is, is definitely inappropriate. And uh, uh, Peter Collier told me today that uh, he, didn't, he didn't say he regretted it, but he did say he deleted it. Okay, that's interesting. Um, now to a bit of nostalgia. Do you recognise this? Welcome to the workout. It's aerobics on style and it's low impact today. So please get your feet moving right now. Get your stomach muscles in. Get aerobics on style. I remember watching this at six o'clock in the morning before before school, before the cartoons came on in the in the mid to late nineties. Yeah, I was I was like a I was like a a thirteen year old boy then. So you better believe I was watching aerobics <laughs> style. Like that was one of the most exciting things on television. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> and so, so what's the news with aerobic style? Well, uh, it's coming back on. What? Well, at least to help us all stay fit. Yeah, it's to help us stay fit. Now, this is from a rival network. It's from Channel Ten, but uh, I think it's relevant to everyone who wants to stay fit. It came as a suggestion from comedian Peter Hellier to try and combat those little fat rolls that we get while we're in isolation, <laughs> not really doing anything. And um, the producers came to the party. I don't think it's going to be new aerobics Oz style, but you can stream it. It's already on YouTube, so you can it's, oh, wow. you can have That's a look. Fantastic! All we need to do now is find somewhere where we can get some leotards. Yeah. Because if you if I remember correctly, they didn't wear a lot. No, they at were all. pretty high cut leotards, whether mm-hmm. you're male or female. And look, I, I thoroughly endorse it. Yeah. Uh, if you can if you can wear if you can wear a, a very revealing high cut leotard, then more power to you. Yep. And I think we should all be embracing this. Uh, and so yeah, count me in. I'll get some leg warmers, uh, some yep. some Terry Towling sweatbands, <laughs> uh, the aforementioned leotards, and uh, I'm in. Yep, and just find a, a spot in a park and <laughs> as they I'm probably going to do it in the privacy of my own home, I think, if there's leotards involved. I don't think I'll subject the, subject the public to that site. Yeah, fair enough. Well, speaking of staying indoors, Netflix has seen its subscribers double in the last few months. I mean, this isn't really that surprising, um, but I suppose it's it just goes to show that people are staying indoors and they're watching more Netflix than ever. Yeah, like there's the reality is in any uh, catastrophic disaster situation, there are lo- plenty of losers, but there are also some winners. Uh, stock market crashes, there are people who benefit from things like that. And in this case, Netflix is certainly the right company at the right time with everybody stuck at home. Uh, and it's 
they haven't been waiting for something like this, but they're certainly taking advantage of it. Uh, all these eyeballs, not enough content, so they go to Netflix. Uh, whether or not they can keep all of these subscribers uh, beyond this pandemic would be another question entirely. Like everybody, like all the other Hollywood studios, they're struggling to create new content at the moment. Um, although I will say, have you seen the new uh, Michael Jordan documentary, The Last yes. Dance? Wow. Yeah. Like if they keep Perfect putting out timing. stuff like that, they'll have no problems keeping all of their keeping all of their subscribers and the the new. Uh, dating show. What's a, sort of oh, what's it called? Um, what is it too called? Too hot to handle. Yeah, too hot to handle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't even watched that yet, but uh, I know everybody's talking about it. And Tiger King, of course. Yeah. So they're they're nailing it so far, and uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, going forward um, what else they can produce over the next couple of months with a lot of productions slowing down or stopping entirely because of the virus. Yeah. Well, it looks like they've got a good few months left of of keeping eyeballs on them. But I'm not sure once uh, this is all over, I think everyone will be taking advantage of the outdoors. Yeah, that's hopefully. right. They, they might they might see a, a, their worst result ever once this is over and people can start mass gathering again. And you know yeah. what? That'd be good to escape from the TV, escape from the couch, uh, get some fresh air, hang out with your mates. It sounds like a. Uh, it's only been a few weeks that we've been in, in kind of a lockdown, but it does seem like just a utopian fantasy to return <laughs> to that sort of thing. Something in the distance yeah. to look forward to. Well, thank you for your time this Wednesday, the 22nd of April. Join us again tomorrow for Coronavirus Watch. Speak to you then.